0: In loving time. night, the place of life. Oh, praise His name. He lifted me. His brow was thin. I'm sorry.
1: children going out to children's church, you can slip out that way if you have your Bible. uh, Please open to James chapter 5 as we're making our way through the book of James, almost through with this series. James chapter 5. understand the British Broadcasting Corporation uh, once produced a radio program that was perfectly designed for the patience level of people in our fast-changing, fast-paced culture. The drama series was entitled The Telephone Box. It only had three episodes, and each episode was only a minute long. The whole drama was three minutes in length. Script writer Wally Daly said it is a real play and fulfills all the criteria, having a beginning, middle, and end. And since it was only three minutes long and three episodes, they played all of them on the same day, they interspersed it with music because if there was a week between episodes, Daily Explained, listeners would not remember what had happened. Oh, no, I didn't tell you that that episode, those three episodes, they aired, they played back in 1994, which was 24 years ago. And I got to thinking, if they made a drama series today, that uh, was suited to our patience level, how long would the episodes be? Maybe 30 seconds each. Maybe the whole thing would be a minute and a half and we'd have to play very short songs in between. Have we grown in our patience in the last 24, 25 years? Well, you may remember the old saying that goes something like this, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, seldom found in a woman but never in a man. (laughs) We want everything fast. We want everything now. We want it yesterday. We hate that four-letter word, wait, W-A-I-T. I couldn't help but think of the old preacher, Phillips Brooks. He was agitated one day and really upset, and finally somebody asked him, why was he so upset? And he said these words, the trouble is, is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. You ever felt that way? Well, you're sitting there patiently right now. Waiting, wondering, listening patiently, uh, saying to yourselves, why all this talk about patience, preacher? Well, you'll have to blame James because he's the one that brought it up. James chapter 5, looking today at verses 7 through 12. And the great, I'm excited about today. You know why? Because I'm preaching a sermon called Be Patient. You can't look at your watch today. You can't look at the clock because it's called be patient. But no, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, God the Holy Spirit writing through James says these words, chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren. Now, I've lost half of you already. Those are tough words, aren't they? Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Are you noticing a theme? Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end attended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes. And you're no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Now, if you've been with us throughout this study of James and you were back at the very beginning, you realize this is not the first time that James has talked about patience. In fact, put your finger there in chapter 5 and turn back to chapter 1 for a moment and notice what he says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he's addressing the brethren again. Chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And already we're like, really? Really, James? Knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. And so he talks about patience in chapter 1. And then in chapter 5, he calls us to patience again. Now you're back in chapter 5, verse 7, and you notice the very first word is the word therefore. And so it's pointing us back to what has just been talked about. And right before this verse, we looked at it last week, we have this whole idea of these evil wealthy people, these evil rich people, And it seems that some of the brethren, some of the brothers and sisters were suffering at the hand of these evil evil, rich people, these wealthy people. And the interesting thing is, though they were suffering and there was hardship, James doesn't tell them to go out and form a protest march. He doesn't tell them to go burn their fields down. He doesn't even tell them to write to their congressmen. He told them what? He said, Therefore, be patient, brethren. He calls them... To patience. So what he's doing is bringing in an eternal perspective. He's reminding them of something we often forget, and that is this, beloved, this is not all there is. There's an eternity after the time we have. And he reminds them that Jesus is coming again and that eternity is ahead of them. And patience, by the way... Now, here's some news. You just got to process it now. Patience is something that God wants us to develop. In fact, if you go in Galatians and you read about the fruit of the Spirit, the things that God the Holy Spirit are, are, is seeking to work into us, uh, you remember one of those is patience, or it may say in your Bible, long suffering. And you know, the truth of the matter is the only way to get long suffering sometimes is what? To suffer long. Patience. We've got, to, we've got to remember something that God is working not just randomly, not haphazardly. He's working with a purpose. All the suffering and trials and problems and issues that He's bringing in our life, He has a purpose. He's working to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I like what old J.I. Packer said about Patience. He said, patience does not grin and bear things stoic-like. I'm going to be patient. No, it accepts them. This is how a Christian does it. It accepts them cheerfully. No, wait a minute now. But listen, it accepts them cheerfully as therapeutic workouts planned by a heavenly trainer who is resolved to get you into full fitness. If you go hire a trainer and you tell them, listen, I'm out of shape, I want to get fit, there's going to be some pain involved. It's going to be rough. You're going to wonder, why and where am I paying you to abuse me and hurt me? Well, there's a purpose behind what you're going through as you're trying those sore muscles you're dealing with to build your muscle, to build your stamina, to build your endurance. Now, some of you are wanting to take notes and you're looking for an outline. And I'll be honest with you, there's so much in these few verses, I wrestle with how to best give it to you. So what I'm going to do is give you a menu up front, Okay? Give you the full menu, all the courses, and then we'll go by dish by dish, all right? So here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what's in this passage Three truths about the Lord, three examples to follow, and two warnings about our mouths. By the way, that's a full menu. <laughs> Let's go dish by dish, and we'll eat quick, all right? Three truths about the Lord, three examples to follow, and two warnings about our mouths, all right? First of all, three truths about the Lord. Three truths about the Lord. I don't know if you noted what it said about the Lord in these verses, but some very interesting things. Did you notice, first of all, about the Lord, that the Lord is coming? He's coming again. Verse 7 talks about it. Verse 8 talks about it. And we forget that, don't we? We forget that this same Jesus that rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven is coming in like manner. In fact, James says that He's at hand. That means it's drawing near. It's soon. The Lord Jesus is returning Jesus could come back and rapture us, those of us who know Christ. He could rapture us to heaven. He could catch us up before the end of this service. And you say, I've heard that before. Well, it's still true. It's coming in a day where we're not expecting it. We're not maybe even looking for it. In the twinkling of an eye, He's going to come back. The dead in Christ shall rise first. I've always said I'd like to be out the cemetery and watch that because they rise first, then I go up. And even if it scared me when they rose, if I die on the spot, I'm still going to heaven, right? <laughs> Scare me to death, take me. You know, I'm going up in the rapture of death one. I don't know what you're going through, all that you're going through today. I do know this, though. You're dealing with something in your life. Troubles, trials, stresses, issues, decisions. Maybe financial problems, family problems, heartache, sorrow, disease. Isn't it a blessing, beloved, to know that there's coming a day when all of that is going to be over. You're not going to, to make any more doctor's appointments. You're not going to go to the funeral home anymore. You're not going to be weeping and crying. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. The Lord is coming. The Lord Jesus is coming again. There's an end in sight. There's an end to the sorrow. There's an end to the suffering. I can't wait for it. Because so much of my life is spent in the trenches with people who are suffering and crying and sorrowing and struggling. And there's coming a day where that will be no longer. And beloved, what He's saying to us is this, be patient, dear brother. Be patient, dear sister, because Jesus is coming again. And one day He will set all things right. By the way, there's a lot that's going to be set right, but He's going to do it. The Lord is coming again. There's a second truth about the Lord. Did you notice it? The Lord will judge. Verse 9. The Lord will judge. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You see the imminence of it? The quickness of it? We better give heed to how we live our life because He is the judge. And we'll give an account to Him. Now listen, if you're a child of God... If you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, all of your sin, past, present, and future, they're forgiven. The Bible says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation. And so we are forgiven. Now, we still sin, don't we? The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. If you say you have no sin, you sin, because you lie. And so that whole idea about uh, forgiveness and confession and asking forgiveness, it's a parental picture as the the judge of all the earth, we've been forgiven forever. Our, our sin's been laid upon Christ. We're forgiven. But yet we're still here. We still messed up. And so we come for parental forgiveness, if you will, just as your child comes to you. Nothing they could do would ever make them stop being your child. But things they do sure can mess up your fellowship, can't it? It's the same way in the Christian life. We mess up. We sin. We've Fail, we fumble. And so we come as a child to our Heavenly Father saying, Lord, forgive me. And that fellowship is put right, right. But the Bible does say that as believers, though we are forever eternally saved, we are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's all about rewards. You say, are rewards bad? No, the Lord talks about rewards. And the Bible says that our works will be tested and those that remain the testing fire they will cause us to receive a reward. And so we want to be wise and be patient and not lose our reward while we're waiting. The Lord will judge. But then I want to share something else that's wonderful. Did you notice it in verse 11? The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's talking about Job in verse 11. His servant Job. And he says the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Um, I found that in my life. Have you? The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. All I deserve is hell. Hell on earth and hell in hell. That's all I deserve. But the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And He loves me. He loves you with an everlasting love. The fact that the Lord would have mercy upon us in in giving us the precious blood of His dear Son. Oh, the compassion and mercy. And then He lovingly cares for us and has mercy upon us day by day. In the good days and the bad days. In the high times and the low times. When things are going great and things are going horrible, we have a gracious, wonderful, compassionate, merciful God. And if we remember these things about the Lord, that He's coming again soon. That he will judge and that he is compassionate and merciful, it will help us to be patient and to wait and to endure. Three truths about the Lord. Now, to help us as well, we're given three examples to follow. Three examples to follow. The first one you're going to like a lot of you, we find the farmer in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. We live in an area where we can get our arms wrapped around this. And if I was preaching in the city this afternoon, might have to give a little bit more detail because people don't know that the food isn't grown in the back of the grocery store and brought to the shelf, right? Maybe, maybe not. Um, We have farmers among us Today. And if you're going to farm, you've got to have patience. Why? Because a farmer, as you know, and some of you garden as well, you don't plant and harvest on the same day. That would be neat, though, wouldn't it? Imagine if you go down the road and you're putting in the seed. And by the time you get to the, the field, you go back around and harvest. Well, it just doesn't work that way. You have to wait and have patience. You know, I've never kept up with the weather in my life until I, as much until I moved to Red Hill. And I knew when I got to Red Hill how we were doing as far as drought tolerance because depending on what the prayer request was, I knew how we were doing. Pray for rain. Pray for rain. Pray for rain. The farmer has to be patient. Why? It says here he has to wait for the the early rain, right? And he has to wait for the uh, latter rain. He has to wait for... The crop. He has to wait for the Lord to provide the sun and the rain. And he has to be patient. But a farmer can be patient. Why? Because he knows what is coming. The farmer is waiting expectantly because by faith he sees a crop. It's not there yet. But by faith he sees a crop that's coming. And we, just like the farmer, we wait for the crop, we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to set all things right. And so the farmer is a good example. Secondly, the prophets, verses 10 and the first part of verse 11. You know, it says there in verse 10 of chapter 5, my brethren, take the prophets, for example, if you will, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of, notice it, suffering and patience. You'll read your Bible and you study your Bible. One of the things you'll find out is the prophets and people who God really used a lot, they suffered a lot. Just can't quite get around that. You know, if you were brought up in church, you you know some of those familiar stories. You remember Daniel was thrown in the den of lions. You remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. You know that uh, God's people suffer And these prophets, these men and women who loved God and served Him, they suffered a lot and they endured by faith. And they depended upon the promises that God had made to them. They endured, they persevered, they were patient, they were blessed, blessed by God and and blessed by us today because we say, yes, God used them, God blessed them in a wonderful way, but they were not always delivered from the harm. In fact, to think about it, that we have brothers and sisters Right now in our world, even this morning, and you know, we meet here in a, a wonderful free place and padded pews and air conditioning and, and fine clothing and no fear, or no trepidation, and yet we realize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world that they're meeting in secret this morning and they're singing quietly this morning and they're coming at different times because they don't want anybody to draw attention to them and they realize at any moment that someone can bust to the back of the church and arrest them and abuse them and persecute them and even kill them. So how can they be blessed? Well, beloved, imagine what the reward is for someone who loses their life for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're blessed truly by God. And then we think about our, our buddy Job. whole book written about Job. Can I just give you a suggestion? Whenever you're having a really bad day, a rotten day, a horrible, no good day, you're just feeling bad and sorry for yourself, just go grab your Bible and go turn to the book of Job. Read the opening chapters of Job and you'll say, hey, life's not so bad, right? What do we know about Job? It says in verse 11 there, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Perseverance of Job. And seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful, God... Worked and blessed Job. And he serves an example to us. Well, our time is fleeing by. But you're being patient. So let's talk about two warnings about our mouths. James has a lot to say about our mouths. We've learned already. And we know when the pressure from trials and troubles come and it builds, You know, sometimes that pressure internally will build up. Has that ever happened to you? And it builds up. You better be careful because it wants to come out somewhere and you open your mouth you got to be careful what comes out of your mouth. And there are two warnings about our mouths here. Number one, don't grumble. That's a great word, isn't it? It sounds like what it means, right? Don't grumble. Verse 9. You not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. It's interesting it says don't grumble against one another. How often um, in your own life do the frustrations and... Tensions build up and you end up taking it out upon those whom you love. (laughs) Grumbling, beloved, is a very wicked and evil thing. Because really grumbling is finding fault with God's care of us. It says in essence, when you think about it, when we grumble and murmur about what's going on in our lives, we're basically saying this, God, you're not good. So how can you say that, preacher? Well, if he's in control of our lives and he filters everything that comes our way through his loving hands and things come to us that are hard and difficult and miserable and we want to grumble and we complain and we start doing that, we're basically saying, God, either God, you're not good or God, you messed up. And of course, beloved, we know that God is always good. And we know that God never makes a mistake. And God always has our good and His glory in mind. And we know His grace is sufficient. So we dare not grumble and complain. Grumbling and complaining is really, really wicked. And it's evil. You want to see a prime example? Go back and read in the early books of the Old Testament there and read about uh, the children of Israel and Moses. And you can see some prime examples of murmuring and grumbling and complaining. We look at that and say, ugh. Well, that's what it looks like in our life, too. Don't grumble. Don't swear. It says there in verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. Perhaps you heard the story about the preacher. He was out working, I guess, in his yard, and he was building a wooden trellis. And he was building this trellis to support uh, a climbing vine. And he was out there pounding away on this wooden trellis, and he noticed a little boy was watching him. And the little boy didn't say a word. He just sat there watching him, and so the pastor kept working, you know, and he kind of figured, well, this little boy will get tired of watching after all, and he'll, he'll go on his way, but he didn't. The pastor's just working away there, and the boy never left. So finally the, the pastor turned and said, well, son, are you trying to pick up some points on gardening? The little boy said, no, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Now, it is true that when we get to points where the pressure builds or the stress builds and all these things happen in our life, we sometimes, we want to cuss. We want to swear. And we shouldn't. But that's not the kind of swearing being talked about in this verse. We shouldn't do that, but that's not what this verse is about. This is about taking an oath. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. It echoes what Jesus said. You can write down this reference, Matthew 5, 34 and 35. Matthew five thirty-four and 35. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. So what's he saying here? Don't take an oath. What's he saying? Well, it, it, we don't believe it's forbidding taking an oath in a court of law to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. We don't believe he's forbidding the president taking an oath of offense or anything like that. What does he mean then when he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no, and, and don't take an oath and don't swear by these other things? Stephen Cole helped me so much, maybe they help you. To understand James' words here, we must understand how the Jews of that day were using oaths. Oaths ought to foster truthful communication. That's why we have people take an oath. But in reality, they have become a facade for lying. The Jews said that if you swore using God's name in your oath, you had to keep your word. But if you swore by some lesser thing like Jerusalem or the temple or whatever, you were not bound. So instead of making an oath something to carry forth in truth, They would say, well, I swear by Jerusalem, I swear by that. But in reality, they were basically lying with their oath. The whole issue of this verse is truthfulness. Being honest in your speech. Letting your yes be yes and your no. no. Because why? Because in times of trial and stress and trouble and we're struggling along, we might be tempted to bend the truth a little bit, to lie in order to alleviate the stress. Uh, we, we might be tempted to, to swear that what we're saying is true. Oh, I swear that's true, but it's not true. We need to be men and women of truth and maintain simple speech, honest speech, where our yes is yes and our no really means no. Well, what are we saying with all this today? You've been so patient listening today. Well, let me just summarize it by saying this. We need to be patient in the midst of trials and know that God is in charge and is working for our good and his glory. We need to be patient in the midst of trials and know that God is in charge. That right there, hallelujah. God's in charge. And listen, God is working. And he's working for our good and his glory. See, we're in a hurry. God isn't. The question really is, will we be patient and trust Him and wait for His timing? He's given us three great truths about Himself. He's given us three examples to follow. And He's given us two warnings about our mouths and how we speak. Will we be patient or not? I understand there was, speaking of farming, there was once a fellow with his dad they farmed a little piece of land. And several times a year, they would load up the cart and Uh, they had an old ox-drawn cart. And they would load it up with vegetables and pull it to the nearest city to sell their produce. Um, And except for their name and their little patch of land that they farm, uh, this father and son had very little in common. In fact, the old man believed in taking it easy, and the boy was usually in a hurry. He was a go-getter type of person. He was driven He was wanting to get after it. And one morning, very early, they hitched up the ox to the cart, they loaded up the cart, and they started on their long journey. And the son figured that if they walked faster, uh, kept going all day and night, they'd make it to market by early the next morning. So he kept prodding the ox along with a stick and urging the beast to go faster and faster and faster. And his dad said, basically, this take it easy, son. Take it easy, son. You'll last longer. But if we get to Mark ahead of the others, and we have a better chance of getting good prices, argued the son. And so four hours and four miles down the road, they came to a little house. And the father saw the house, and he smiled and said, here's your uncle's place. Let's go in and say hello. But I've lost an hour already, complained this hotshot son. Well, then a few more minutes won't matter. My brother and I live so close, and we hardly ever get to see each other. The father answered slowly. And so that boy, he fidgeted and he fumed. Now the old men talked away an hour. Well, on the move again, the man took his turn leading the ox. The father took his t- turn. And they approached a fork in the road. And you know, whenever you approach a fork in the road, they make a decision. And, and the father led the ox to the right. And the son said, the left is the shorter way. The old man said, well, I know it, but this way is much prettier. Have you no respect for time? The sun was furious. Oh, I respect it very much. That's why I like to use it to look at beauty and enjoy each moment to the fullest. Well, this winding path that led through graceful meadows and, and wildflowers and a, a rippling stream All of which the young man, the son, missed. Because you know why? He was churning inside, boiling with anxiety. He didn't even notice how lovely the sunset was that day. Twilight found them in what looked like a huge, colorful garden. And the old man, he breathed in the aroma, listened to the babbling brook, and pulled the ox to a halt. Let's sleep here, he sighed. The sun snapped back. This is the last trip I'm making with you. You're more interested in watching sunsets and smelling flowers than in making money. The dad said, Well, that's the nicest thing you've said to me in a long time. Well, a couple of minutes later, he was snoring, and the boy glared back at the stars, and the night dragged on slowly, and the sun was restless. And before sunrise, the sun, he. Uh, shook the father awake and they hitched up and they went on. And about a mile down the road, they happened upon another farmer, a total stranger, trying to pull his cart out of a ditch. Let's give him a hand, whispered the old man. And lose more time? The boy exploded. Relax, son. You might be in a ditch sometime yourself. We need to help others in need. Don't forget that. And so the boy looked away in anger, and it was almost eight o'clock that morning by the time the other cart was back on the road, and suddenly a, a great flash split the sky, and what sounded like thunder followed. Beyond the hills the sky grew dark, and the old man said, Looks like a big rain in the city. The sun grumbled. If we had hurried, we'd be almost sold out by now. Take it easy. Take it easy. You'll last longer and enjoy life so much more, counseled the older, wise gentleman. Well, I've got to tell you, it was late afternoon. By the time they got to the hill overlooking the city, they stopped. They stared at it for a long, long time. Neither of them said a word. Finally, the young man, the son, Put his hand on his father's shoulder and said, I see what you mean, Dad. And then they turned their cart around and they began to slowly roll away from what had once been the city of Hiroshima. Be patient. Dear brother, dear sister, Be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. Father, we need your help in this. We can't do this in our own strength. We get anxious and worked up and impatient. But you've called us to wait watch, to live for you faithfully and wait for the coming of the Lord. Father, I pray if anybody here today is not ready, should the Lord return, that your Holy Spirit would show them their need of Christ, their sin, and show them the Savior who loves them and died for them and rose again. And I pray your Holy Spirit to speak to their heart even now that they might place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then, Father, help us to follow these examples, to learn these truths, and to watch our mouths as we faithfully wait, patiently waiting, for the coming of the Lord. Help us, Lord, not to murmur and grumble and complain and swear when pressures and trials build up in our lives. But instead, may we use our mouths to cry out to you. Because, because Lord, you said that we can come to you at any time and cast all of our care upon you for you care for us. So, Lord, I pray that folks would do that even now. As they're seated there, whatever concerns or cares they have right now, they would give them to you and rest in you. May you have your will accomplished in this invitation, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn of invitation, and we'll be baptizing in just a moment, 280, Jesus, keep me near the cross. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. If you need to come and pray today, we'd love to help you with that. 280, as we stand and sing, the altar is open. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Let's stand and sing.